Well, hello there. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Can't complain. Ready to talk about Alfred Hitchcock? I am very ready. I know. You've done, so you've done way more, a little behind the scenes, you've done way more prep work than I have. I was just like, hey, let's just talk about Hitchcock. And you're like, I'm watching all these movies. And I'm like, you're better than I am. <laughs> I think you've seen more of his movies than me, though. So I was making up for that. Making up for that. What movies did you watch? I know you told me um, yesterday. I just, I, I don't remember. I tried watching The Man Who Knew Too Much, the 56 version. But okay. I thought I honestly didn't really like that one <laughs> all that much. That's um, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Uh, I didn't like I like the the first one is the first one with Jimmy Stewart or is it the no the second one I'm on the Google second right one now. the second the, the one first one Jimmy has Stewart. Peter Lorre. Yeah, Peter Lorre. I love Peter Lorre. Peter Laurie's great. Um, what's the other one that I, I, there's another one of his that I just couldn't get into. It's, it's supposed to be, I'm looking shadow of a doubt. That's another one that is like highly regarded. And I just like, it just dragged for me. It totally dragged. Yeah, I can see that. And it's also, it's a lot like a lot of his other movies. Hitchcock definitely had certain themes that kind of carry through a lot of his work. Right. So that's that's one you can kind of dip out on and just watch a different one and get pretty much the same gist. Well, and it's interesting. So I I'm, I was on Wikipedia just like 20 minutes ago, just scrolling through because me and you had talked and I was like, I had I had a box, a DVD box set when I was like 14 of like pretty much all the movies, like a lot of them, like a lot of the big movies that he made or like not necessarily big movies, but like whatever that he made in the thirties before he like came to America and like really started like slaying it over here. And with movies like, let's see the lady vanishes, sabotage the 39 steps, the original man who knew too much murder. I'm just looking, I'm just scrolling through. I remember watching all those movies, the lodger. And then it's like, I had told you, I'd seen all of his movies after 1950, which is true. But then I found two movies this morning that I had not seen: "The Trouble with Harry" and "The Wrong Man." I've never seen. Okay, I one love. Of those films. I love "The Trouble with Harry." What's that about? That, so it's it's a comedy that I would say is kind of in the vein of like a Clue or a Who Framed Roger Rabbit, more so Clue. So it's basically this gentleman dies. And they, uh, he gets buried and they keep digging him up because different people keep thinking they're the person who killed them and they're trying to figure out who actually did it of them. And they're trying to hide this from the police simultaneously. So they keep burying him and then um, digging him back up and burying him again as soon as another person comes into the story who may have been the person who killed him. It's, it's pretty humorous. That I would say that's probably hilarious. It's great. I would say it's probably his only like true like comedy comedy piece. Sure. And that you know like now that's something that I wouldn't mind Hollywood remaking for the modern era. That could work. That actually could work in today's society. Um so yeah, I'd never seen that. Have you seen The Wrong Man from 1956? No. No, neither have I. But I've seen all the other ones and then like anything from the 40s we're just kind of like running down the, the movies before we get into them. 
Yeah. There's a few from the 40s. I still have. Uh, I've never seen the Paradigm case. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Under Capricorn and Foreign Correspondent. Cool. Under Capricorn. That's a good. That's a good one. I haven't seen it, but it looks cool. I was looking over it. That one. Yeah. Definitely on my watch list. So for me, so all right. So I guess we'll just get into it. So how did you get into Hitchcock? Like originally, like how old were you when you first saw your first like Hitchcock movie that you remember at least? What's your backstory with Hitch? Well, let's see. I think I saw Psycho. I mean, I was in elementary school for sure. Probably like second or first grade. Um, and who doesn't love Psycho? That's probably where most people come into Hitchcock as that's probably one of the most iconic movies ever made. Oh, and you sure. I mean, even as like a, I don't know, seven, eight year old kid, I thought that was just like the coolest movie and I have continued to think that way, you know, for the next 20 years. And I doubt I'll ever not think that. I mean, that movie is absolutely amazing. 100%. And the then, score itself, the open, the opening title sequence, if that's, if that was the whole movie, I'd still think it's one of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> I think Sal Bass did his opening title sequence for that movie, as well as for a lot of his later movies, kind of and starting Bernard, with um, Vertigo. What? Bernard Herman did the score to Psycho, right? Yeah, Bernard Herman did the score. I'm talking about the art for the opening credit. Oh, sure. I think it was yeah, 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 yeah. Saul Bass. He did a lot of those. Actually, um, Saul Bass did the artwork for um, Anatomy of a Murder. So for the longest time, I actually thought that was a Hitchcock movie when it's not, just because it looked like his other ones. You are the only other person that I've ever spoken with that has ever seen Anatomy of a Murder. That wow, oh, really? that's a deep cut. I have not like, well, no, I mean, how often does that movie get brought up? I mean, I'm sure I know other people that have seen it, but you know, I remember watching that on VHS tape in like fifth grade, and like that was such a dope movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch that. It's been far too long. So I have yeah. we got a few messages to play real quick before they go away. Hey Lego, hey Rob, what's up, rock stars? Happy to see you guys on here. Uh, great topic for discussion. I love Psycho. It's definitely um, in my top five uh, favorite horror movies. And um, yeah, what a great conversation. Happy to see it. Oh, for sure. It's Psycho's. Psycho's a masterpiece. It's 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 up there with Casablanca and Citizen Kane. Yeah. I love the fact that Hitchcock has made it such a classic with Psycho, but then like everything that Hollywood does, they constantly try to fuck it up by creating sequels and then doing a remake. It's as if they're trying to crack the code of what Hitchcock has been doing with his films, but like anybody else that tries to recreate or replicate his uh, formula, they fail spectacularly. I just think it's kind of funny. I Have you seen... Most- Go ahead. Or I was going to say, have you seen the Psycho sequels? Yeah, so I was just going to say, I, I mean, I, I get where Ryan's coming from. I Here's the deal. The reason they made the Psycho sequels was purely for money. Because if you look at it, there was a 20-year gap between one and two. And what was yeah. really popular in the early 80s? Slasher movies. Because in 1978's Halloween, that reinvigorated yep. the slasher film into modern cinema. And then you had, you know, Friday the 13th, right? So... For Universal to capitalize on that and bring in Anthony Perkins, who probably wasn't up to much else at the time, you know, makes sense, right? Ouch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for, for three, 
uh, three and four, those were kind of, Earl three was directed by Perkins. And at that point he really wanted to continue sure. doing them. Well, of course he did. And then That's four, he, he already for. knew he was sick. So. Oh, he was sick. I, see, I didn't know that backstory. Uh, he had at that. Well, I know he was HIV positive. I think at that point he had AIDS. Oh, wow. and at that point okay. that was a death sentence for sure. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and then the Gus Van Zant. That's who directed the 98 remake, right? With yes. Vaughn and, and H. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's it's an interesting art piece because it's pretty much a shot-for-shot shot remake of the original. I don't know what they were going for. Um, to be honest, so... I've seen the movie once. <laughs> yeah, I have to. What do you know about so it? The, the story is, um, Gus Van Sant said that, the, that Psycho is a perfect movie, so he wanted to remake it as a shot-for-shot shot remake to prove you can't remake this movie. Oh, so he did it just to like stoke the That's fire. That's what he says. That's what he says. I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it. Hold on, we got some, we got some more messages to play before we keep yeah. going. Totally agree with Caramel Payne here. I mean, do you think that Bates Motel kind of um, ruins the legacy of Psycho? I'll be honest with you. So I started watching Bates Motel during the second season. One of my best friends, Joe, He's, you know, he likes movies, but like, he's not like, he doesn't like rip them apart like I do. Um, And he told me, he goes, you got to watch Bates Motel. The first season had just dropped on Netflix after it was done on A&E. He's like, you're going to love it. I'm telling you. So I started watching it. Season two was okay. And then like towards the, the, like the third or fourth season, it kind of dragged. The final season was phenomenal. Have you seen Bates Motel? Yeah. Um, I really like Bates Motel uh, as to what the person said i don't think that like retroactively harms you know what psycho did um right i mean psycho as a movie it fundamentally changed the landscape of horror films i don't think anything could take that away from it let alone its, its sequels or the tv show um yeah i will i will say this however so i've never seen the show hannibal um and i know there's a new series coming out called clarice and, you know, it's supposedly a, it's another prequel to Silence of the Lambs. And for me, like, obviously, I love 1986's Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Hannibal was fine. And the remake of Manhunter, well, the, with the original title, Red Dragon, was fine. It was a fine movie. But I remember when they came out with Hannibal Rising. I went and saw that in the theater and I was so bored, just so bored with that movie. And I'm like, why are they doing this? Why are they, like, ruining the legacy of Hannibal Lecter? And from what I've been told, the show Hannibal is great. But I say all that to say this, to go back to the comment that we got. You know, Bates Motel, to me, there's such a separation between a movie that came out in 1960 and a modern day telling of a prequel that came out in the 2010s. Whereas with Hannibal, like those movies still aren't that old. So to continuously, it's almost like the Terminator. It's like they came, they had the um, Sarah Connor Chronicles series like 10 years ago. And it's like, yeah. why are they doing this? Like, why do they need to do all of these things? You know what I mean? Come up with an original idea. But I did like Bates Motel. I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I concur with that. There is a, there is a big difference, especially for, I mean, I know Hannibal didn't do this, but um, when you have the same actors in it, I think that also kind of takes away. But again, I mean, I feel like Psycho kind of stands on its own. 
as its own kind of thing, a little bit removed even from its sequels and especially from, like, as you said, the sort of like prequel retelling that kind of builds to where what we see in the movie itself. Right. And I think and it I, also I think- helps that it's in black and white because that really separates it from every other thing that's ever been shot that has to do with Norman Bates. Yeah. Does that make this sense? Is also- yeah, this is also kind of weird. So the first movie Hitchcock made in color was Rope in uh, 1948. So oh, yeah, we're when gonna I was get a- to Rope today. Yes. <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean, 1960, you know, when you're like in elementary school growing up and like, you're not much older than me. So growing up in the 90s, of course, you think 1960, everything's in black and white still. So it wasn't until I was like older, where I was like, wait, wait, wait. So he started doing color and he purposefully made this film black and white. Now I'm assuming that wasn't for any kind of financial reason. I'm assuming that was for a specific um, aesthetic that he wanted, though. I'm not sure. I think it's also got to do. So to be honest with you and I'm oh, sure with the blood, some, probably too. The rain. there's somebody out there that knows way more about the details of this than either of us, but to your, to go along with your point, I think it was an artistic choice on purpose purely for the fact that this was a quote unquote, like mature R rated kind of movie at the time. So to shoot the, the shower scene in general, if that was yeah. shot in color, there's no way the, you know, that would have, that would have gotten a pass to have gotten put in the theater. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Scorsese did the same thing when he made Raging Bull. He shot it in black and white for multiple reasons, partially because it takes place, you know, in the forties and the fifties. Right. But then also, um, the way, you know, they use like this, like this, like chocolate syrup mixed with like all this other stuff for all the blood during the boxing sequences. Cause it shows up better on black and white film. Yeah. And, you know, it's like aesthetically, you know, it's like when Spielberg made Schindler's list, aesthetically, it just works. You know, there's really no rhyme or reason or Mel Brooks's young Frankenstein. It just works, you know? It's very true. So that's um. Oh. Well, damn! Don't I come off looking stupid? <laughs> no, not oh, at damn, all. You're I fine. didn't know that about Perkins. Wow. No, you're fine. Don't worry about it. So I didn't mean to cut you off, Lego. Sorry, you were gonna say something. Oh no, you're good. Go ahead and play the other message. Okay, Rob, you should definitely check out Hannibal. I mean, you can go in this movie and not know a thing about the films or understand anything about the character, and you will still have a good time. Mads Mikkelsen, Hugh Dancy, and and Lawrence Fishburne, they give great performances as the characters of Hannibal, uh, Will, and uh, Jack. I mean, it's very good. It, the series does dip a little bit within its seasons, but the tone stays the same. And also, Eddie Izzard's guest appearances are great. I love the series. Have you seen any episodes of Hannibal? No, that was just really not my thing. It's so, for me, it's like, I, and I believe everyone that says it's great. I, I completely yeah. believe you. I just, you know, once again, it's like, I still have never seen The Matrix. I still there. I still have never seen the Princess Bride. Like there is a. Okay, there's for, one of those movies you need to watch, and the other one you can skip. <laughs> I um I know I know I I guess what I'm trying to say is like for somebody who's seen I've seen so many movies, yeah. um you know the last few years I've just been so busy with my you know music career and everything else that it's like 
I'm I'm having a hard time catching up on new movies that are coming out, let alone some of the classics that I, you know, missed just because The Matrix came out when I was in third grade. It was an R-rated movie. So by the time, you know, I was in sixth, seventh grade when I started watching R-rated movies, it had just passed me by and it was like, it wasn't something that I sought after. It's like, man, I really want to watch Goodfellas. You know what I'm saying? And that's the right choice. (laughs) Goodfellas is definitely better than The Matrix. For sure. Wow. Okay. Well, Goodfellas is amazing. The Matrix is okay. Goodfellas is one of the greatest movies ever made. Let's all right. So back back to back to topics here. So what's so interesting with Hitchcock is that is was or was there anything else you wanted to say about Psycho? Well, I I was going to say this is actually kind of a generalization, not necessarily Psycho. So Hitchcock Hitchcock didn't like write his scripts. He wasn't like a storyteller in that way. He bought um, you know rights to books. Like Psycho was a book. Or right. to plays um, or to scripts that had already been written. And then he, he was a storyteller in, in what was on screen. Uh, so there are a lot a of. Yes. He was, there is a lot of you know, people who have gone through and analyzed his films, maybe a little too much. I'm not saying I'm mm-hmm. one of them. But there, this is something that, for, for Psycho, for instance, there are a lot of analysis regarding um, what the taxidermied birds mean and, like, what they're a metaphor for. But I honestly, I don't think Hitchcock is the type of director who puts stuff on screen as a metaphor. I think he put it there to, for, like, Psycho, I think he put it there to kind of foreshadow Norma and to show that, um norman bates was kind of odd because i don't want to like piss off the text the movie people, but that's kind of weird right. i don't think he no, put it there for any like deeper reason other than that i don't what really are some see... of the what are some of the metaphors that people claim were what like um for that one well okay for for instance um i'm trying to think of what people were talking about with the birds well okay so um, a lot of people look at Psycho as being very queer coded. I don't. Okay. I think that's just how Anthony Perkins acts because I've seen him in other movies. I don't see any of that going on as much in that film. Um, sure. I think he's just supposed to come off as kind of a certain kind of way because of how the book was written, not for anything else. Um, right. So a lot of people are looking at the birds as kind of representing um norman's sort of identity crisis in that fashion which i think that's a bit of a reach now that's interesting um Um, i came up with my own idea for an example um i think the birds represented norman being trapped and surrounded by death and at a point in time when his mother was alive so the birds look alive they're seemingly alive but they are you know, stuffed. They are dead, and yet they are dead and still in a, you know, wide-eyed. Some of the birds look like their wings are spread. You know, they are in positions of life, but they are not. And that's kind of representative of how Norman is kind of stuck. But that's in reality, messy. again, I, I think it's just supposed to show that Norman's kind of weird. He's odd, right? No, I mean, I like your take on it. That's very interesting. Um, All right, so moving on from Psycho. I mean, it's pretty much uh, 
so so you watched Psycho when you were in like second grade. Yeah. That's that's fucking crazy. So for me, my quick little uh you know intro to Hitchcock was let's see I I like I was really into movies as a like a five year old like I really got in like you know Indiana Jones and Star Wars and all that shit and then. I really got into old movies when I was in fifth grade. It's for me, it started, I started watching Humphrey Bogart movies on AMC, the African queen, Maltese Falcon, big sleep. And I took a deep dive into, you know, old cinema, old Hollywood. So obviously Hitchcock, Hitchcock came along with that. So I was like 10 or 11 when I started really getting into it. And but my local video store in town just happened to have a vast Alfred Hitchcock collection. They probably had somewhere between 20 and 30 of his films and they were all on VHS tape and they, they must've come from a collection because they all had like Alfred Hitchcock's like um, a silhouette on the cover and then like whomever was in the movie. So I just kind of started renting them one by one and would like, you know, my parents would know, like, oh, Jimmy Stewart's in that one. Cause like, I didn't necessarily know who Jimmy Stewart was yet. So it's like, oh, yeah. Jimmy Stewart's like, that would be a good one to carry Grant. Right. Or, you know, whomever. Yeah. So Psycho was probably like, I don't know, maybe like the 10th Hitchcock movie I saw. I saw Rear Window, um, Vertigo, The Birds. I saw all of those prior to Psycho just because of the way I would just go to the video store and just rent different Hitchcock movies. Um, you know, over the course of a year or two, I watched all of these. And so then as I got older, you start, and I'm sure you're, you're in the same boat, you start having conversations with people and it's like, it's so interesting, a movie like Rope that nobody ever talks about. Nobody, Rope is, yes. Rope, to me, Rope has all of a sudden in the last few years become one of his more popular films in my personal opinion, because you use, you know, they always would talk about the, the, the main, like psycho, the birds, North by Northwest, vertigo, rear window, dial M for murder. Right. But Rogue yeah. would never be in the conversation, but I've noticed in the last few years, I keep having conversations with people and now rope is all of a sudden getting brought up all the time. And I think it's because it is a timeless movie that in 2021 is not dated at all and works as a stage play. I mean, you could, you could get high schoolers to perform, you know, this, this film on, in a high school theater. You know what I mean? Well, it's based on a play. So that's right. probably well, why. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's just, it's perfect. It's so fucking good. What are your thoughts on rope? So I absolutely love rope, but it's kind of, it's uh, based on uh, Leopold and Loeb, which I think is a really interesting true crime case. Uh, I think there's also kind of a big um, explosion of people being interested in true crime. So that might have something to do with it. Um, and honestly, I was looking at this and I kind of occurred to me that Rope is basically the movie Scream, but set in one room. <laughs> Ooh, now that's an interesting take. So, of course, yeah. we have a lot of Hitchcock films talk about the perfect murder. Um, Strangers on a Train would be another example where there are oh, people classic. discussing the perfect yeah. murder. Um, if you look at Rope, again, a lot of 
queer coding, which kind of is the same in Scream. Scream, of course, has Billy Loomis. Loomis being like Sam Loomis from Halloween and from Psycho. Um, he, of course, quotes Norman Bates saying, we all go a little mad sometimes. But really, that movie is taking a lot from Rope, where you have these two young men who are trying to commit the perfect murder. Although in Rope, they're kind of twisting the words from their professor, who's played by right. Jimmy Stewart. and They do it um, in more of like an intellectual way, like almost as a science experiment. Well, uh, yeah. So they were saying, I think specifically, he says... Um, you twist my words into a cold, logical excuse for murder. Whereas, you know, they're doing this based on um, books and theology, whereas Scream did it based on films, the films that came before it, like this one. Um, but it, it's really kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a very interesting. I never really looked at it that way before, but I completely agree with you. That makes a lot of sense. And I think what's great about Rope 2 is that it is, it's a very short movie. It's less than an hour and a half. Like they just, you get right into it, opening scene, you know, no, you know, no spoilers in case you've never seen the movie Rope, but they get right into it. You know, there's no, and that's, that's another thing I love about Hitchcock is that there's, there's not exposition for exposition's sake. It's like there, you know, sometimes you just get right into the whole thing or there's just a little bit of an introduction. That way you can get to know the characters and then boom, they go right into it. And that's what. Well, that's. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No. I said that's actually a big thing with with um, Rope and with a lot of his movies. Well, Rope, for instance, is shot in 10 takes and it was made to look like it didn't have any cuts. Um, right. Which is uh, Alfred Hitchcock did a lot of experimentation in his film which I really like. But with this specific one, um, that really creates this like building tension and suspense, of course, being the master of suspense. Um, and that, that really goes along with like the guilty conscience that um, Farley Granger's character has because of right. what they do at the beginning of the film. But with this movie and with a lot of Hitchcock movies, actually, um, we really see a lot of um, voyeurism and scopedophilia. And that is very much introduced in how we come into the movie. Generally speaking, as audience members, we are not just watching. We are active participants for this case. We are actively, um, we are active in the murder that happens at the opening scene of the movie. We are meant to emphasize with the villain. We are not with Jimmy Stewart's character as he's figuring out what's happened, we are with the killers hoping Jimmy Stewart doesn't figure out what we have done. We're not solving the case with the good guy. We're with the bad guys, which is very, very different than how movies are made today for sure. We, um, I guess that back then that was kind of seen as like a subverting ex- expectation and that would be considered that today. But that was very, very much how most of his movies were um told narratively that's that's a amazing way to put it yeah i couldn't agree more i mean and that's the you know and it is it's like it's just such a baller movie like the more i think about it it's just like i want to go rewatch it you know when 1917 came out what two years ago now or a year and a half ago everybody was like oh wow this is so cool like they they made this movie that looks like they never cut anything and i'm like yo you ever seen rope like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, everybody acted like 1917 was this. I mean, it was a great movie. I mean, it 
the plot was fine. I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with the story, but it looked great. But everybody was like Bird, going on and Birdman on. did that too. Birdman did it as well. Exactly. Like yeah. it was this like groundbreaking piece of cinema. And it's like, this has been done before. It's just, I, you know, I just think most people read one news article and, you know, they just run with that. But um, we've got a few messages to play. I want to get to yeah. these real quick. Love your take on the taxidermy in Psycho. Um, what is your thoughts on the cameo appearances that Hitchcock had in many of his movies? They're awesome. I think that had to do with branding. Um, <laughs> that, no, seriously, I think that really yeah. had to do with branding. Um, uh, it is kind of the similar thing with Orson Welles. Um, putting yourself in the movie makes you a household name. And back in those days, that's, you know, what you wanted to be. You wanted to be recognizable because that was going to get you better deals. 100%. And, you know, and I think to go along with that, I think after... Um, we'll get to some of these messages real quick, but I think, you know, so once he got into television with, you know, Alfred Hitchcock presents and the Alfred Hitchcock mm -hmm. hour and yeah. stuff, he, he really entered people's households, you know, and I think yeah. him being on camera and, you know, doing those introductions or whatever have you, and then popping up in his films, to your point, it's an excellent way to brand himself, but it's almost like, him it's the way i look at it is this it's almost as if hitchcock is so synonymous within his own films that it's like to to have all those movies and him not be in them almost almost gives you like a different feeling about it like to me it's like you know it's like it's almost like m night Shyamalan back in the early to mid 2000s where it's like he'd come out with a new movie and you're expecting a twist right You're expecting, yeah, and you're, also you're, just, you're going when when's Hitch gonna pop up? When's you know what scene is he gonna pop up in? Right or like Stan Lee? I was Lee gonna say the same Marvel thing movie. for Shyamalan with his cameos. Right. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then you're also expecting a twist. You know. Yeah. Um, and then Stan Lee did the same thing with all the Marvel movies. You know, it's like, well, where's Stan Lee gonna pop up? And it's like, like I don't think there was anybody before Hitchcock that did it, but it's like he started that trend, and it's become well, like synonymous with some people I, i was gonna say i think orson wells was doing it kind of side by side in terms of time wise but also you know again with being a household name if you have you know certain director presents a lot of people today especially back then i'm sure don't really pay attention to who's directing a movie i think that's more of a cinephile thing to do but you know sure. i could ask my mom to point out i'm like Shyamalan, and she will because he was in the right. movies His scene, Shamlon's scene in, or scenes, I should say, in, or scene in uh, Signs is yes. my favorite. That, Definitely. that was legitimate. Like, this isn't just a director, like, popping up in his own work. That was legitimate acting. Like, I'll, you know, for me, it's like, whenever I rewatch Signs, when, when you get to that scene, you're like, wow, he's really good as this character. You know what I mean? And also, I like the, I like the specific character that he made himself. He made himself the character um, that caused his character's pain, which is exactly very meta. The the death of his wife. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's genius. It's fucking genius. I kind of like that take. I know. I actually uh, would uh, compare Rope to being more of a dramatic version of Clue, but you know, mainly it's because of the whole murder mystery, you know, uh, connection. Well, like I said, it's not 
really a mystery. That's why I kind of like it because we're we're with the killers, which is why I compared earlier. Um, uh, the trouble with Harry is very much Clue, although I will say Clue does have better writing. As much as I hate to admit that, <laughs> you know, here's the deal. So I saw Clue once on television. I don't know, sometime between age 10 and 13 and was like, this movie's fine. I've never played the board game all the way through. So is that something I should probably go back and rewatch? In terms of a a comedy film, I would say Clue very much ranks there in being not only a good film, but something that's pretty well ingrained and well accepted in like the cultural Zach guys. I wouldn't even say it's like a cult film this is a very very popular film and legitimately for good reason it, it is a very well executed film okay i'll yeah i'll have to definitely check it out and i don't know why i'm blanking on the name of it now but what well i don't know why i'm blanking on the name of it right now knives out um yeah is that similar to that's similar to clue correct um like a little like like little little bits just because of like the the investigation and the murder and stuff i mean it's i mean it's only similar in terms of who done it clue is 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 very much a, a have you seen the blues brothers oh, imagine the blues I'm, brothers as a like whodunit, a, Chicago, but without i have a blues brothers poster buddy <laughs> okay so like it's written by the same guy max landis or not max oh, landis, yeah. john landis john landis it's john landis yeah john landis yeah so he he wrote clue Okay. Didn't direct it though. Yeah. Who directed? Yeah. Uh, who directed Clue? Do you know? Oh, I actually can't remember. I mean, that's. I'm looking it up right now. You talk. Hey, you okay. want to play that next message? Yeah. Okay. Hey, is there a current director that you feel was really influenced by Hitchcock that you could just kind of see that in their movies that you like? Great topic, by the uh, way. Yeah, we'll get to that. Jonathan Lynn is who directed Clue. Um, but I love oh, John Landis. Okay. Then there's John Landis. I thought he just uh, wrote it. So yeah. modern, so modern Hitchcock. I mean, you know, let. I'm sure we can agree on Shyamalan, definitely, at least his earlier work. Yeah. Um, you know, Wes Craven a little bit, John Carpenter a little bit, a little bit. Oh, you can you can definitely see like certain things. I don't know. Okay. I think I'm. I can definitely see certain movies. I don't know about directors. Right, right, exactly. I mean, you know, for me, like, have you ever seen, I I've, I've, I talk about this movie once in a while just because not everybody's seen it, but I think it's like one of the most underrated movies ever. Have you ever seen 1981's Blowout, directed by Brian De Palma? I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. So to me, it's a great movie. John Travolta and I believe Karen Allen's also in it. I've seen it twice. It's been a long time since I've seen it, though, but... To me, and though it is an older movie at this point, to me, that always really kind of represented the the idea of a Hitchcock style film. You're you meet the protagonist. Um, he he sees he hears something go down and, you know, it's got a little bit of that north by northwest rear window vibe to it. Right. So to yeah. your point, I don't necessarily know. I mean, other than, once again, Shyamalan's earlier work, there's not really a director that has been around for 20 years that's like the new Hitchcock. 
but there are specific films. What was that? Do you remember that Shia LaBeouf movie that came out? I'm blanking on the name of it. I don't Disturbian. know. Disturbian. There you go. I mean, that was very Hitchcockian, you know. Well, okay. I was going to say for Rear Window, that movie, it didn't invent the distrust your neighbor trope um, because I think that's been around since humanity has had neighbors. Because who would trust the neighbor? But that movie yeah. is definitely the epitome of the distrust your neighbor trope. And then you get like Disturbia, you get The Burbs, you get Fright Night, which all these movies are so clearly inspired by Rear Window. And you even get like episodes of television, like um, How I Met Your Mother did a Rear Window episode. Um, Rick and Morty had a, I don't know, a funny sequence that was very much Rear Window. And I'm just going to start talking about Rear Window right now. Um, let's, this just, whole... let's get into it because that's one of my favorite. It's one of Hitchcock's biggest movies and, and just and it's an amazing film. For sure. Um, again, it goes into Hitchcock makes the most like voyeuristic um, scopophilia films. And this one kind of merges like audience, character and director because you have, you know, Hitchcock uh, as a filmmaker directing the actors and the actors is the characters. Um watching their neighbors and you have the audience watching the characters and it's all this kind of intertwined uh creep fest really um so, yeah so it's interesting so when when covid first started once lockdown first started i i was gonna touch I, on that <laughs> i was watching a lot of movies at, at like the first couple of weeks because like what the fuck else were we gonna do and for whatever reason, like on one of my movie collections on one of the bonus, like one of the fancy channels I get, they had like all the old monster movies and then they had pretty much the entire Alfred Hitchcock collection. So I didn't watch any movies that I hadn't seen before other than I uh, did try to I did try to rewatch Shadow of a Doubt. And I was like, I still just can't get into this movie. But like <laughs> I'd watch, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein. I talked about that on another show last week, but I rewatched Rear Window. And I probably hadn't seen it in, I don't know, maybe since high school. And it holds up. Like, you know, it's Grace yeah. Kelly's characters, you know, slightly like it's very kind of like early 50s. Right. But the majority of the movie, it, it, it holds up 100 percent. I mean, even to the ending of it. And it's great. You know, uh, it's Jimmy Stewart just getting inside his head. It's it's a masterpiece, and he's such a great actor. I mean, Jimmy Stewart really is. He is one of the greats oh, for sure. that that ever was in film history. Definitely. I think I do remember also when it comes to Rear Window, there was a TV movie that I think that was a complete remake or a reshot as well. It starred Christopher yeah. Reeves when he was yep. paralyzed. Yep. Um, yep. I can't remember the entire movie itself, but I just do know that the elements of that TV movie was exactly like Rear Window. Have you yeah, seen it was the basically Reeve one, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fine. I mean, I I watched it a long time ago. Uh, he was still alive when I watched the movie, <laughs> but it was fine. I mean, that being said, so sticking with Jimmy Stewart, we're gonna we're gonna breeze over to Vertigo real quick here oh okay because that's how me and you that's how me and you got into this whole thing like hey the next time we do a show let's talk about yeah. hitchcock because we were in okay. a live chat on a different program the other day and you had made a mention about vertigo and i said it was overrated <laughs> how dare you so, i know dare you i know so let's just get into it what 
Why do you love Vertigo so much? Where does it rank in the pantheon of Hitchcock movies? Okay, so this is not just me saying this. This is like the American Film Institute, the German Film Institute. This, I'm serious. They have ranked this in, you know, top 10 best movies ever made because it is. This is coming from, like, in any best movies ever made list, this is always near the very top for a reason because it is one of the best movies ever made. In terms of actual filmmaking, oh, okay, hang on. Mar- part of the reason I love it, I adore films that use a color palette not just for visuals like a um wes uh, wes anderson uses a color palette and that's nice and pretty right. and who doesn't like the pastels in this movie these colors are used as part of the story to advance the pl- plot in this visual medium and that's so dumb that so many directors don't do that um noah holly very much does that in the TV show Legion. And I absolutely appreciate that. And I think that makes, it takes the filmmaking and elevates it in such a way. And it takes the story and elevated it in such a way. That's amazing. Um, Further. So I don't know if you're aware, but um, Hitchcock didn't really like to film in studios. He preferred to film on scene. Right. Um, And so the landscape of this film is gorgeous. Um, a lot of it's San Francisco, some of it's down near like Monterey, um, going mm-hmm. towards like Big Sur where the Redwoods are and Pebble Beach and all that. Um, and also, okay, so I could get into a whole thing regarding like what this movie is actually about. This is pretty get into much. It. Okay, so this is pretty much male gaze the movie. Do you know what male gaze I, is? Yes, I agree with that. He's infatuated with, with yeah, I get it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so it's this, I mean, it's it's predates Freud and Jean-Paul Sartre, but they did this whole big thing on it, and there's this, um, it's this whole theory in feminism. Hitchcock, very well known for not necessarily treating the women on set very well. Um, I don't know, it's very, uh, very much reminds me of, oh my god, what's his name? Stanley Kubrick. Um, right. And this I movie... Agree. This this movie is I love Kim Novak uh, Novak sorry can't pronounce her name she is as once we see her as Judy not as what was her name Man- Madeline uh, yes, yeah Madeline I believe so so once we see her as Judy and not as Madeline she becomes one of the most realistic mo- women I've ever seen portrayed in film <laughs> where she's just not having any of Jimmy Stewart and then it quickly. Pre- like progresses into this like very toxic and very abusive and possessive relationship. That's all about ownership and stripping her of her identity to transform her so that she could replace this woman he's lost. Who it turns out she also was um, part of me thinks this movie actually could be a little bit. Yeah. I do think this movie could be remade because the, the, the only issue and it lends itself to this is that everything is, going back to the male gaze, everything is that happens is for Jimmy Stewart's character. So we see the, the guilt that Judy has over Madeline's death through Jimmy Stewart, rather than her own guilt that she has herself. And I would say that's the only issue the film has is that she, she lacks any kind of autonomy as a character. 
Which, right. it, I, I mean, the movie's about stripping that of her, but I don't know. I don't think that's what Alfred Hitchcock's intention was, which is why I say it's his only issue. So when it goes to, like, I guess spoilers for this old as hell movie, mm. Judy dies. Um, a lot of people kind of write that they think that she died because Jimmy Stewart's character would never love her, which is super dumb. I'm sorry. That's that's a bad take, man. That's a bad take. First of all, she died because she was surprised, but she she lost her life because of her guilt. And the only reason that that's not clear, again, is because we're seeing we're watching the movie through Jimmy Stewart's lens, not through hers. Right. But this movie is, is eternally deep, super beautiful in terms of, I mean, like all of Hitchcock's films. I mean, this movie, this movie is just an art piece to look at, as well as having so much pretty art on screen. It is. It's visually and, stunning. And I, and I yes. do love the color palette. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I mean, so my thoughts, my thoughts, I mean, I completely agree. I think it should be remade. You know, I just compare, I I get it. It's a, it's a great film. I agree with everything you said for me. It's just, you know, I'd rather watch, you know, lifeboat or, which is, I think very underrated um, or dial in for murder. Some of his other films, I just rank above vertigo, but you're completely correct. I, I believe Anthony Hopkins played Hitchcock in a movie. I saw a movie yeah. about Hitchcock. Called Hitchcock. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're completely right. The way he was with women was very similar to Stanley Kubrick. And we'll get into it shortly here. You've seen Marnie, correct? No. No. Marnie, it's with, so Sean Connery's coming off of Dr. No and from Russia with Love. It was the same year Goldfinger came out. And, um, you know, it, 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 Tippy Hedren's coming off the birds. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's a movie that I have been, I've been pitching to everybody that I know for about five years that needs to be remade because it was very, the response to it was very lukewarm when it came out. And the older the movie gets, the more that time goes by. I also rewatched that when COVID first started last year. It is very dated and it worked like I got where Hitchcock was going at the time with the way it looked and the story he was trying to tell. But in 1964, you could only say so much on screen, whereas now it would definitely be an R rated movie. Right. So I say all that to say this vertigo, I agree, should be remade because you could retell that story in a modern setting. And I think with you know the way people you're able to just put it all out there on camera uh dive a little deeper and i say the same thing with marnie and i've been saying this for years john ham would be great as sean connery's character from marnie but that's just my personal thoughts we got a few messages to play and then we'll continue to move forward hey i would suggest uh just kind of a cool uh hitchcock podcast check out wondery's podcast episode called uh, inside Psycho, and they delve into with some dramatic reenactments of how Hitchcock made Psycho, like how like leading up to him making it, and then during the actual making of it, and then after it was released, it's uh, it's pretty good. I will say this: uh, I don't know about you, Lego, but I went to Universal Studios in Los Angeles, and that's where they've got the the Bates, the Norman Bates house. That was pretty cool to see. 
in in real Yeah, I grew life. up not far from there, and I never freaking went. <laughs> you never went? Well, no. one of these days when the pandemic's over. What's your favorite comedy show or film ever that you ever seen in your life? Curb Your Enthusiasm, or It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What about you, Lego? It's Always Sunny. It's Always Sunny yeah. for me. All day. Vertigo is my favorite Hitchcock movie ever, so thanks for that. Um, in terms of the themes in that movie and the themes that are going on in Rear Window, I'm kind of surprised to hear, Rob, that you didn't really like Vertigo. You're not so convinced about it because the themes of voyeurism and isolation and looking in on somebody else's life is very much present in Vertigo as well. Well, see, I, I have a whole thing on that. Um, so with Hitchcock, um, he had a, like I said, voyeuristic approach to filmmaking, but a lot of his movies um, had a lot of like espionage or his earlier movies, like espionage and spy kind of films. So right. I kind of saw like the isolationism for Weird Window kind of going in two different directions. One of which was like the whole cabin fever, which obviously we lived through 2020. So I think we can all understand how boredom kind of lends itself to creativity. And then it gets real weird real fast. <laughs> And especially since he's not only confined to his apartment, but also to a wheelchair, that must be eternally annoying. But the second way right. I kind of saw it was um, isolation in terms of country. Um, Rear Window came out in 1954, which is during the Cold War. And there we have this kind of tendency to like distrust the quote other unquote. And then we kind of tend to make like a, a spectacle and become fascinated with it which lends me to just go ahead and psa zoos are evil and you uh shouldn't go to zoos because animals shouldn't be spectacle and neither should your neighbors yeah i know i know you don't like zoos i love zoos just because i like to watch animals but that's a conversation for a different day that being said mm -hmm. this is this it's is this is what I, this is what i will say it's it, it probably won't happen this week or next week but I'm going to re-watch Vertigo. I'm going to watch the whole movie. And I'm going to look at it. I'm just going to try and give it another chance. I've seen it twice. I'm going to try and give it another chance. With, That's the, what... uh, with saying it could be remade, I was thinking about... Did you see the the, the new um, Invisible Man that came out last year? I, I still have not watched it yet, no. Like I said, I'm behind. I am very behind. Oh, well, I was going to say, that could really be remade in kind of that vein. Uh, I think okay. it, it, that movie really lends itself to that sort of that, that sort of psychological um, look at and I, the way the world is now. Right. And I agree with what you were saying earlier, like the, the, the kind of the scope of Vertigo, like the way it shines all, you know, it's not really like on set or anything. I think mm -hmm. I think to get the proper director and cinematographer, if they were to attempt to remake that movie, I think would be key in terms of telling the story um 100 percent. oh my gosh i'm completely blanking on his name who is denny villeneuve's um cinematographer uh name me one movie i'm on google give me one movie that he did the cinema prisoner prisoner oh prisoners with hugh jackman yeah. and uh, uh yeah jake gyllenhaal by the way that is one of the 10 best movies of this past decade for me absolutely uh, oh you're 100%. talking about roger deakins yes roger deakins who there we did, go. That's who did 1917 cinematography. Yep. Like yeah. He would be, I think he's perfect for, you know, all movies cinematography, but he would be absolutely phenomenal in, in oh. doing like a vertigo. 100%.
Rob, oh, God. The moment you talked about uh, Anthony Hopkins' portrayal, I also remember there was a TV movie as well of Hitchcock as well, played by Toby Jones, and it was all about his relationship yep. with Tippi Hedren, and it goes yep. in to talk about how Hitchcock, pretty much how he mistreated her, blacklisted her, you know, tried to control her as well. But, yeah, that those two uh, portrayals of Hitchcock adding on to uh, the film with Connery. What is it? Uh, oh, Marnie. Yeah, those two those those two portrayals in that film made, made, makes it really difficult to watch Hitchcock's movies, honestly, because the because of his the way he writes or directs or his portrayal of female characters. It's just it's really troublesome. And Marnie, God, I don't ever want to watch that movie again. I don't I just don't. He, he knows what I'm talking I guess I need to clarify on why uh, Marnie was... I have an issue with it. Mainly with the the, char- the, 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 the the writing of the character itself. I mean, you're introduced to Marnie as someone who is a com- who's, who compulsively steals from companies she works for. And then it writes into where Connery, he wants to save her, but he's trying to be controlling of her. To where it leads to some very questionable moments of connery's character and of course with the ending tries to justify that he puts her through hell or controls her in order to you know break in order to change who she is as a person for the better um i don't know i guess it's the execution or just the story it was just very troubling he's referencing a very specific scene in the film i don't want to give it away in case somebody hasn't seen marnie like you haven't seen marnie um but yeah no it, it's it's definitely especially as an adult like once again when you're like i think i was like 12 or 13 the first time i saw it and a lot of it just went over my head because like i didn't understand it at the time but as an adult having seen rewatched it re uh, having seen it again it's yeah no i i couldn't agree more with that hello all the way from auckland new zealand how are you guys Hey, we're doing well, yeah. King eighty eight. That's awesome. Uh, welcome. We're we're here in the United States, but uh, that's so cool. <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently so. All right. Uh, let's move forward. What's your uh? Bring up a Hitchcock movie that you love or you hate or you think is overrated, and we'll talk about it. What do you got? All right. Well, I'm not the biggest fan of The Birds. No real reason why. Okay, cool. So, well, first of all, I don't like birds. I appreciate that they actually, you know, used birds. I think they had to get the birds drunk, which was weird. (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean there are a lot of horror movies where it's just like animals attacking there's the frogs night of the lepus the birds um i think they have one strays which is about cats uh this is like a very like standard horror movie idea i don't think the birds was the first um, Tippy Hedren's even in another one, Rar, and you think she would have learned her lesson from the birds. <laughs> <laughs> so my thing with the birds is simply this. You know, I watched it as a, you know, 11, 12-year-old kid, and it didn't give me nightmares. I mean, it was a scary movie. It was creepy. Don't get me wrong. The next day, 
I'm in, you know, my mom's car driving down the road and we see a bunch of pigeons and it's like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, watch out. But it, it just didn't it didn't scare me. I think maybe in, in 1963, it was uh, of the times enough that it was it was actually a scary movie. But watching it in like, you know, the year 2000, 2001, you yeah, know, at the time, I- I'm also watching whatever happened to Baby Jane with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Now, that movie gave me fucking nightmares. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would say, I don't know. I don't particularly think it it held up well. Um, but also, that you, you brought something up that made me think that Alfred Hitchcock's probably remembered very well, you know, mostly for Psycho and The Birds. And those are really his only horror movies for the most part. Everything else is just suspense. And it's funny that, yeah. you know, a horror director isn't, or someone who isn't a horror director is remembered for these, As a horror director. these two horror movies. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you, you make such great points because it's like, you know, he was definite or he, he is, I should say, definitely, you know, he's the master of suspense, the thrillers, the suspense movies. But to your point, he is definitely in the conversation as one of the greatest, you know, horror directors ever. Yet, you know, most of his movies are you know, espionage thrillers or movies about isolationism or movies about, you know, love gone wrong or whatever have you, you know, um, we're, you, me and you were talking privately yesterday about, uh, the Cary Grant films of Hitchcock's and you said that they're the least Hitchcockian of, you know, all of his movies. So what, yeah. Why, why don't we why don't we go to that we'll play some messages though real quick hold on i totally agree on the birds i mean especially if you watch it these days because it looks just so bad and there's a lot of sort of really bad cinematronics going on as well somewhere so i think yeah it's dated it's old um and the storyline isn't great and it kind of doesn't feel like there's a particular point to this bird attack it's just sort of that overarching sense of yeah some kind of wrath in the universe i don't know i didn't like it i'll say i'll say to that real quick so it's 1963 you know um hitchcock is at the height of his game he's got television shows you know he's coming off of psycho right and north by northwest vertigo those were the three movies that came out before the birds and I think it was kind of this idea like, well, what's Hitchcock going to do next? And then he brings the animals. In. And it's it's almost like the movie is so famous because it was so he was he was so famous at the time to where it's yeah. like now that so much time has passed, you look back and you go, well, that wasn't one of his best movies. It's just it, it's basically time, his happening. It was. Yeah, it was during the, the you know, peak golden era of Hitchcock movies. Alfred Hitchcock is like, everyone says master of suspense, but it's like, is that it? Like, it's okay. And I don't really, uh, his films are okay. And then none of them have really grabbed me. We would love to know what Hitchcock movies you've seen, or if there are any famous ones off the top of your head that you haven't seen, because that opens up an entirely different conversation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I can understand like a modern audience not being as into it or is into his work. Um, For the most part, I do think, you know, quite a few of his films hold up, like his most famous ones, Rear Window, Vertigo, Psycho, Rope. I think these hold up. But again, 
coming from the point of view of a modern audience, um, particularly people who like, you know, those big popcorn blockbuster movies, I really don't see this kind of these like slower moving. Um, I wouldn't even say his films are thought provoking. They're just more um, subdued, probably wouldn't be as interesting. Sure, sure. So moving on to the Cary Grant, there's four. He Cary Grant did four films for Hitchcock, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's he let's did, uh, let's dive into North that. by North. Yeah. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the Cary Grant films? Okay. Um, they're very Cary Grant. I think Cary I Grant kind of over overrides Hitchcock. If I didn't know they were Hitchcock going in, I wouldn't have realized they were. Like that wouldn't have have like oh yeah this is a Hitchcock movie like with other movies you could kind of you can tell but with these ones it's like no this uh this is this is a Cary Grant film. I agree. I so other than North by Northwest, all the other ones he's done with Hitchcock, I've only seen once. I've seen North by Northwest, I think three times. But you could you couldn't hit the nail on the head better. It's like there are certain movies. I mean, there's even. How do, how do I phrase this? Especially his earlier work before he really started bringing in that star power. You would watch his movies with, you know, some actors that may have been famous at the time, but they're not like Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, like legacy famous level where right. you're watching them and you're watching them because it's a Hitchcock movie and they're playing characters within the Hitchcock movie. Whereas with Cary Grant, you're watching a Cary Grant movie. It's like it's like Tom Cruise. That's why when people start talking about Tom Cruise should play a Marvel character, or Tom Cruise should play this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Cause it's going to take away from the movie because Tom Cruise is star power. He's so uniquely famous in that, in that sense that it, it's like, you're going to see the new Tom Cruise movie. You might not know the title of it. Um, you might not know the character's name unless the character's name is in the title. Does that make sense? Yeah. I would also say that or go ahead. No, that I mean that's my that's my take with the Cary Grant films with with Alfred Hitchcock. Um, if I can make a comparison. Um Yeah. So Rebecca and Suspicion. Rebecca came out in nineteen forty, Suspicion came out in nineteen forty one. Rebecca has um Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine. Suspicion has Cary Grant with Joan Fontaine. These are basically the same movie. It's a wife who doesn't trust her husband. Things ensue. Yep. Rebecca feels like a Hitchcock movie. Suspicion and it is a Cary Grant movie. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. I Rebecca think it just was made on Netflix with Army Hammer. Yikes. The, I, you know, <laughs> the, the, the new one, I still haven't seen it. Uh, have you seen it? Not get good reviews. <laughs> That's why I didn't watch it. I was so yeah. excited about it. I was so thrilled. I'm like, oh, maybe this will like turn like a new Renaissance era, and we'll get we'll get Hitchcock remakes remakes on Netflix. Um, by the way, it just popped into my head. Do you know you know who would be amazing? He's got way too many other projects that he's tied up in, but do you know who David Fincher would be? David Fincher to me. I think is maybe who can carry a little bit of that Hitchcock legacy. I don't know. I think he would be great. Maybe he would be the person that should remake Vertigo and then get, you get what I'm saying? That, that would be interesting. 
Um, I think the only movie I like by him is Zodiac. <laughs> Really? But, have yeah, you seen I mean, Have you seen the majority of his films? Have you seen? Uh, I mean, um, I've seen like the big ones of uh, Fight yeah. Club Seven. Couldn't okay. I couldn't even get through Gone Girl. Couldn't get through Social Network. I didn't like Gone Girl. Social Network was actually my favorite movie this past decade, but for so many reasons, um, I think they should make a sequel to it. But I I agree with you on Gone Girl. I. I've watched it twice and I don't know why everybody loves that movie. It's like, it's so Rosamund Pike's character. I just loathe her. I mean, and you're supposed to, but it's like, Oh, and the, the, I think for me, it was the ending, the way the movie ended. I'm just like, yeah, I didn't no. even get to the ending. I just oh, couldn't it's even so get bad. To... It's so bad. Um, I mean, people love it. Just not me. <laughs> oh God. I didn't like the girl with the dragon tattoo. Not big on Benjamin button. Yeah, I did like Panic Room. Panic, oh, did well, Alien. Panic Room's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah he, I like he did that one. Alien 3. That was his first movie. Well, I can forgive that. That that wasn't yeah. his fault. Well, the studio um, interfered far too yeah. much with that. But I kind of do see where you're coming from, Rob, with Cary Grant and Hitchcock collaborations because it does look like in most of the films, his style doesn't take present it doesn't take center fold like it it's generally looks like it's just regular it's just um you know just filmmaking but one thing i do have to say i do give hitchcock credit for was bringing Cary grant back into uh the acting uh acting in general because to catch a thief which was one of their first collaborations was the maybe i'm wrong i'm off on movie date you'll correct me but i know to catch a thief was the film that brought Cary grant out of retirement because Cary Grant was, well, he was considering going into retirement, and this film kind of brought him out of it to where he was able to act in a few other films after To Catch a Thief, including North by Northwest. Um, right. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock films because it's kind of like a good, um, it's a good film to introduce people to Hitchcock, and then you bring in some of the more uh, Hitchcockian films like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so oh, suspicion. So that Suspicion yeah, was the that, first one we did together in 1941. To Catch a Thief came out um, 14 years 55. later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, to Catch a Thief is the third. Is that the third yes. collaboration with Hitchcock? Yeah. That sounds yeah. right. Um, yeah. I mean, I get it. You know, I, I like Cary Grant. He's, you know, for me, it's like actors from that, like Humphrey Bogart's my favorite actor from, you know, the, the that 20, 30 year time span in Hollywood. Um, yeah, I like Cary Grant, you know, especially like the stuff he was doing pretty much in the fifties and, and there forward. It's fine. Like he's fine. You know, I don't know. He's just not, he's never been one of my favorite actors. I hesitate to say this. I don't think Cary Grant is a bad actor, but I do think he, he kind of did one thing and that's every character he is in, in every movie. That's why I compare him to, to, to Tom Cruise. Like, Tom Cruise in the 80s and 90s. Maybe I just don't watch enough Tom Cruise movies. What's that? Said maybe I just don't watch enough Tom Cruise movies. I don't like Tom Cruise. Like I'm not I don't a, like Tom Cruise. I'm not a fan. No, I like I you know, he was great in Rain Man. I like Days of Thunder. Oh. Top Gun's fine. It's very it's very oh. hokey 80s movie. Yeah. Jerry Maguire was amazing. A few good men. Oh. The Last Samurai, Collateral. But then for me the moment he jumped on Oprah's couch and like embraced the Scientology thing, I was like, for, I know it's got nothing to do with him as an actor, but that's when I started just questioning him. Like what, what is up with this dude? 
And then all the movies he's made the last 15 years, he just plays Tom Cruise. He doesn't, yeah. like, he's not act, like Jerry Maguire was a performance. A Few Good Men was a performance where it's like everything he's done for the last, like the last movie he performed in to me was collateral. Everything he's Wasn't done it, since like, then. Yeah, go ahead. The only one I would say he was like, I really took with would be like the one movie where you probably wouldn't even know that was Tom Cruise, which is Interview with a Vampire. Right, right. Well, and that's 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 the 90s. I mean, that's when he was still doing acting when he was still performing in that sense it's like well, it's the same thing of- with will with will smith like i don't mind will smith but the last 15 years it's pretty much hey i'm going to see the new will smith movie not i'm going to see this movie that happens to star will smith like you're going so for I the would star power more not compare. the film go ahead i would more compare Cary grant with maybe more like the rock because at least you like the one character he plays <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's The Rock. He plays The Rock. I love The Rock. It's Cary Grant. He plays Cary Grant. I love Cary Grant. It's a place to likable. It's enjoyable. That you know, that's a great comparison. Cary Grant is the the or Dwayne the Rock Johnson is the modern day Cary Grant. That's also I do want to add about To Catch a Thief is that it it may not be a Hitchcockian film, but it is a film with style. Like if you just watch it, it's a very good film for locate the location is great the costumes are fantastic and obviously my favorite thing about uh to catch a thief was grace kelly which is surprisingly one of the few characters female characters where that doesn't have a big of a that doesn't have like huge hang-ups out of most hitchcock films yeah i gotta rewatch to catch a thief it's been like 15 years for me when was the last time you saw it it's probably been about the same for me. Yeah. So, anyways, um, that's I I I'm just so hung up on the Dwayne the Rock Johnson comparison. That's <laughs> fucking that is that is so perfect. It's like ridiculous, uh, you know. And then, so moving forward, uh, anything that you would like to discuss, we definitely can. I do want to bring up very quickly some of his later films. So you know, The Birds was his peak. Because then you get Marnie, which came out to lukewarm reviews. Torn Curtain with Paul Newman and Julie Andrews. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't seen anything after The Birds. It's They're fine. Um, Topaz is fine. Frenzy I actually really like because it's like R, it's like 70s R-rated Hitchcock, if that makes any sense. And then Family Plot, which was... Yeah, Family Plot was fine. But it's so interesting because I'm looking at his his filmography right now and it's like... I'm doubling, we're definitely doubling down on the fact that the birds was the peak of Hitchcock mania, Hitchcock success. But also at the same time, you got to look at the, at the world, you know? So 1963 is the birds. Well, what happened in 1964? The Beatles came out, they became huge music really. And I say, the reason I bring up the Beatles is because society was changing the way everything was you know the movies that came out in the latter part of the 60s and the early 70s hollywood was changing things were there was there was just new ways of filmmaking there were new filmmakers that could dance toe-to-toe with hitchcock in terms of how great they were and you know it's almost like he had a great run i mean he was doing movies in the 1920s and the 19 or the 1930s and it's like 
pretty much from the from 1940 with starting with Rebecca through the birds that's 23 solid years of making excellent films does that make you know what i mean and yeah that was kind of it and then it's like the world changed you know the the vietnam war the civil rights movement the counterculture movement society just pivoted and you know you never really saw movies with you know hippies in them that alfred alfred hitchcock wasn't directing movies with, you know, hippies walking the streets. And does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Also, he probably wouldn't stand up very well during the age of feminism. No, not at all. <laughs> and, you know, and you had mentioned Stanley Kubrick, you know, uh, Dr. Strange, yeah. Strange Love came out in 64. And it's like, yeah. you know, and then you get 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like filmmaking just changed. And then it's like, you know, to think that his last movie came out in 1976, which was the same year as as Network and Taxi Driver and Rocky. And it's like you wouldn't put Alfred Hitchcock's family plot up there with those films. It's a fine movie, but cinema itself had just totally changed. And it's not that Hitchcock had, you know, he was like the end all be all to cinema at the time. There were a vast variety of different movies and different filmmakers. But yeah. To me, it's just society changed, and that was it, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, not all directors yeah, I know keep up Alfred with Hitchcock, I believe, had two shows. He hosted two shows, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, did you guys watch and enjoy both of them, and which one do you recommend, or do you recommend both of them? We'll get to that in a second. I cut you off, Lego. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, no, you, I was just saying, yeah, you did uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Those were his two well, series. Did, I've, I was going to say, with the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, that wasn't very long, though, was it? Like, it wasn't long-lasting. You know, here's the deal. So I've not watched either of those shows in a long time. They used to air reruns on TV Land when I was, like, in elementary school. And it was similar, because, like, I would watch rerun, reruns of The Twilight Zone and Get Smart and all that stuff. But... There's not any episodes specifically that stand out to me that I remember. I just, they were, it was fine. They were, they were entertaining. I've probably seen maybe a dozen or so episodes of either program. Well, I'm looking on like IMDb because I'm not as familiar and it says the Alfred Hitchcock hour and it only has one episode and Alfred Hitchcock presents only has 17. Yeah. So these, okay. I mean, the 17 goes from like 1955 to 1961. So it's maybe like, Two or three really? a year, yeah. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, so about three just, a year. So it was never something that I just like dove, dove into. I got um, I got a when DVDs first kind of like were popular. I got a box set of the best of the Twilight Zone because like that was another one. Like I just watched random episodes of, and yeah. that was interesting. I liked the Twilight Zone, the old ones. There's probably like ten episodes of that show that are like phenomenal. Like they still, I think, would stand up today. Like the Burgess Meredith one where he breaks his glasses. It's like the post-apocalypse, you know? Yeah, I actually absolutely despise the Twilight Zone. <laughs> really? Why Why? Yeah. Why do you despise You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I like the stories. It's the execution. I can't do it. Because it's it's also, because these, it's, these stories are so tropey. It's like, I already know what's going to happen. Just, just freaking get there already. It sounds like they're long either. But I also, I went to see, they were showing, have you ever gone to see like any Fathom events in the theater? 
Yes, I've seen I've seen Rocky okay, and Godfather. So I, I go to those a lot because you can you can definitely put old movies in a theater and make some freaking money. I don't know why they don't do that. I, um, I, they should do it all the time. Exactly. I had tickets to see Psycho, but COVID, and my heart is still broken. But that's a whole other uh, story. It's so funny because um, that was on my list of things to do last year was to go see Psycho at the theater for the anniversary. Exactly. Um, uh, I had tickets. And then the heck got refunded. It was sad. Anyway, um, so I had gone to see Psycho, or not Psycho, I'd gone to see a couple episodes of The Twilight Zone in the theater. And it was probably okay. one of the worst experiences I've ever had. <laughs> What episodes? Like what episodes did they play? Was it like the one on the either. airplane or the 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 one where no, the, they think the aliens I in the suburbs? That one. Um. So that yeah, they did the um. It's uh Mulberry Drive or whatever it's called. Yeah. I, is is that a okay. Ray Bradbury? Ray, is that a Ray Bradbury story? I want to say it is. Be. Keep talking. Let me look it up. Um. They also did the one where, uh, the guy goes to town. And he's like back in time or something, and he doesn't realize it. And then, yeah. lastly, they did this one, and this is the one that was like the one of the worst experiences of my life. So, I'm one of those people like I don't like the sound of like chewing, and uh, okay. like sounds and sounds kind of like that. Like I get it really bother me, like when people are just making weird noises. It just it I get very agitated. <laughs> and it was the right. one where the woman she's a giant and she's in a cabin and an alien ship lands on her roof. And it turns out it's actually humans and she's the alien, but we thought she was the human the whole time or whatever, but she doesn't yep, speak nonverbal one. and she's just making like weird, like eh, eh, the noise is the whole thing. And I'm just sitting there like, like vibrating in anger <laughs> like, at my friend for making me go to this. <laughs> this. It was like an actual form of torture for me. I couldn't handle it. Never since I'm like, I refuse to watch any Twilight Zone, but I was definitely lived, grew up in a household where like every New Year's with the Twilight Zone marathon was on. Um, so it's not like I haven't seen most of it. I've seen most of it. And I just think because, you know, I'm from the era that we're from that. I already know these stories intuitively. I know. And they're it's just, it's, it's, and they're not told in a way that doesn't lend itself to me being interested and, and absorbed in it. Right. By the way, I it does have a great intro, though. I don't know why the hell I thought Ray Bradbury wrote this, but the monsters are due on Maple Street was written by Rod Serling. Um, um, that that one, and I'm blanking on the titles. That one, the one where the guys on the and the, have you ever seen the Twilight Zone movie that came out in the yeah, 80s where they did like um, four? So like that the, was the remake. That's with, a whole big story. <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. The remake, the what where they where John Lithgow's the the guy that's on the airplane that sees that the alien on the wing or whatever. Yeah. Um, that I really like the the redo the remake of that, but the original television episode was fine. But like that one, the ones that you just spoke about, those are all ones that I like. And then the one with Burgess Meredith. Um, did you ever see the one where the kids jump in the swimming pool and it like takes them into a different dimension? Um, that was a so, good actually. episode. Maybe. That that would be one that I would rewatch. But the reason I bring up the Twilight Zone is because at the time. Um, they were, you know, it was, it was kind of, they were similar, but yet very different from one another with Alfred Hitchcock presents. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like same time period. You know what I mean? So anyways, before we wrap things up, are there any other Hitchcock films that you would like to go over and discuss anything that you've got hot takes on any final thoughts, Lego? 
Hmm, I don't, I don't think I have any hot takes on anything. Well, I guess other than what I've already said. Unless you want like, a, <laughs> like an actual um, um, the, the other thing I just kind of wanted to say is, um, you know, while Hitchcock, you know, didn't uh, show women in a very good light. And while he did do a lot of queer coding, which I find in this day and age, very, very problematic. Um, something he did do that I really like that I don't think he gets enough credit for is that he really made you sympathize with the character that was supposed to be the villain. And they, he, he tried to make you see that even someone who does something bad isn't necessarily a bad person. Like with, with Norman Bates, with um, the uh, character from Strangers on a Train, um, they, he always you know, kind of showed them trying or other people trying to get them help or them getting help in the end. And he didn't vilify their actions when clearly they weren't necessarily in control of what they were doing, which even today, a lot of directors and writers do that. And I think that's very bothersome. So I don't think he gets enough credit for, you know, really trying to show people in this sort of non black and white world. I couldn't agree more. And you're completely right. And I think what, you know, what Hitchcock was able to do with psycho, you know, for example, psycho is, you know, Norman Bates is mentally ill. He's not, yeah. he's not just, um, he's not just some murderer for murdering sake, you know, because he wants to rob somebody and take their money or something. He's, he's mentally ill. And I think the way it's depicted is done. The execution is perfect because Hitchcock was dealing with a subject that to this day still has a stigma around it. You know what I mean? Like we've made yeah. progress, but this has been a conversation that's been going on. I mean, that movie's, you know, 51 years old at this point. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah. Have you, uh, are you familiar with Peeping Tom? Uh, I mean, like the term or is that like a film? The movie. As well? Okay. No, so, I've never um, seen the movie. So Psycho is generally credited as being the first slasher film, right? Sure. So a lesser known one is Peeping Tom, and it came out the very same year as Psycho, just a few months before. However, it is a British film. And I think a lot of people tend to not understand that when uh, movies came out in the 60s, they came out on actual film and they literally needed to travel across country from theater to theater. And right. also international releases didn't mean all over the world. It meant North America and a couple countries in Europe. Um, right. So while Peeping Tom technically came out before Psycho, it wasn't released in the U.S. until probably early 1962. Um, okay. But Peeping Tom and Psycho are basically the same movie. And I actually think Peeping Tom is the superior movie. Um, it's about really? two. Um, Peeping Tom is about a young man um, who I, he, he's a, he wants to be a filmmaker. Um, like uh, Norman Bates, he's, he's a voyeur who is, um, very mentally ill and we are watching it from his perspective rather than, you know, from other people's, um, and they're really similar. They have a lot of the same things being hit. Um, mm -hmm. they're both really good. I remember Peeping Tom being in color, but I might be wrong about that. I'm not sure like what, how, how England, uh, rules were different because uh, they didn't have the Hayes code like the U S did. So I'm not sure like mm. what they were allowed to do versus not, but um, yeah, I, th I am, you know, in terms of like film history, 
Uh, I think it's definitely something that needs to be, you know, mentioned along with Psycho. And you have like those little, you know, people who want to hit semantics when you call Psycho the first slasher. And they, oh, well, actually, you know, it's Peeping Tom. It's kind of the same thing with um, with uh, Black Christmas versus Halloween. But oh, yeah. Black Christmas is so great. We will definitely have to do it. Well, that that that's its own show. So I'm looking online oh God, right yeah. now. Peeping Tom is in color. You're correct. It came out in 1960, but wasn't released here until 1962. It's a Criterion Collection movie film. Oh. Uh, it's got a 93 or 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. So definitely. I mean, it's a, it's a good out. movie. Yeah. And the fact, I mean, the fact that I respect your, your, uh, where you would, would gauge uh, films. So if you think it's as good, if not better than Psycho, I have got to check this movie out 100%. So my question today is what is your favorite color and why? Uh, Lego, you go first because I have two. Uh, my favorite color is purple. I just find it very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. It's just nice. It's just there. Purple's in my top five. Um, I like purple's with... going towards red, like the more reddish kind of purple, not the yes, more yes, blue. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, got to be specific. Um, yeah, uh, red is my favorite color. My favorite color is black, but my buddy Joe always gives me a hard time. He goes, black is the absence of color. And I'm like, all right, fancy pants. That actually depends. Um, that, like, that doesn't make sense to me because it's if we're talking the light spectrum, but if you're talking about a color wheel, black is every single color. Right. Or, or, or whatever, however, however he phrased it. Point being, black black and red, I don't know. I don't know if I could pick one or, over the other. Probably black, but maybe red. Those are my two. But then I love purple. I love pink and um, green. Those are probably, that rounds out like my top five favorite colors. I know that sounds <laughs> weird, but I give those things okay. Yes, you have to watch Peeping Tom. Totally agreed. Yeah. Def- definitely gonna have to check that movie out so along with Princess okay. Bride. along with yeah i, I know I, you know all right so here's the deal i think i saw the movie i don't rem- like i vaguely i know i've seen scenes from it i don't remember the whole movie i know that the grandpa's reading fred savage a book and then i Carrie think the grandpa's colombo oh uh peter uh peter falk yeah. Is that? Yeah. 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 Columbo. I've, so I've Come seen on. a few episodes. Columbo's of reading Fred Savage a book. How he do you was also wanna... in, the, in the original version. Have you ever seen the 1979 version of The In Laws? Not the remake with Michael Douglas and Albert Brooks, but the original. Do you know In-laws? what I'm talking about? No, I don't think so. It's a great, it, it's a great comedy. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a kind of an underrated film that most people our age have not seen, but. Anyways, so this was our discussion on Alfred Hitchcock. Thank you all for joining us. This has been Lego. This has been a pleasure. We'll have to definitely do another show soon on a different uh, topic of film. Um, It's so interesting, too, because, like, you know, the way we come about it and the hot takes is is fantastic. So um, until then, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, Anything Uh, else you'd like to say? No, not really. Thanks okay. for uh, talking to me about Hitchcock. Are you kidding me? Anytime. 
anytime. Until then, y'all can find me everywhere at Rob Fishbeck on the YouTubes, on the Twitter, on the Facebook, here on the stereo app. Hit that follow button. I'm trying to get my likes and subscribers up. Um, I go live three times a week on YouTube with a vast array of subjects. I know more, way more about music than I do anything else. So we're going to be doing a whole lot of stuff with the music uh, talks over there. And later tonight into this morning, I will be doing my WandaVision review for episode five. Lego is actually one of the moderators in the live chat. She does great work for me and even came up with the thumbnails. You can find me on Instagram at Rob underscore Fishbeck because uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles. We've got one more message to play and then we will be getting out of here. Did Alfred Hitchcock ever win an Oscar? He got an honorary Oscar, but he never won an Oscar from like one specific film. They did give him an he had, honorary. He award. had uh, five nominations, though. Yes, he did, but he never he never won. So yeah. that was that. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Have a good day. All right, later. Bye.